Good, good morning. I'd like to ask for your attention for a few reflections. Um, this is not a guided meditation, so it's perfectly all right to open your eyes, uh, listen, and uh, actually think. Uh, uh, I'm interested in in your thoughts on this. Uh, this is, uh, I believe, an important background to practice. Um, I come from a long line of uh, people who found great freedom in meditation as being not a theory. And after many, many years of trying to practice without a theory, I have come to the conclusion that there is no practice without theory. The only thing we have is non-acknowledged theories and non-acknowledged presumptions prejudices, tacit understandings that remain unchallenged if we're not willing to actually reflect on what we do. So uh, it seems important that we not just practice, but that we also consider what it is, what we practice, consider how we practice, consider our notions of Uh, progress, our notions of obstacles, our notions of uh, what we're actually trying to achieve. Any such consideration will entail thinking. The human mind can do a lot more than just being a meditation obstacle. And it is important that we, many of us have spent many years in school and trainings, that we make use of these possibilities. Just to be clear, this is underpinning my whole approach to meditation and my whole approach to Buddhist practice. I'd like to speak, say say a few things this morning about the first of those four satipatthanas. I'd like to uh, point to the traditional understanding of these four satipatthanas or of the first of those four satipatthanas, namely Kayanupassana, which is understood in six different uh, dimensions. Those six different dimensions of contemplation of the body are quickly enumerated. The first one is posture, iriyapata, and orientation of the body in space. Um, Anytime you become aware of your posture, anytime you try to vitalize, you strengthen your posture to infuse it with buoyancy, to get in touch with something of your felt experience. You would be practicing a form of iriyapata. You would practice a form of contemplation of body. That is where the body scan, now famous through the mindfulness movement, has found its origin. That is where all the uh, sweeping practices we know from Gwenka or countless other applications of body sensation work uh, have their origin. In the Buddhist In the first section of Kayanupassana, of contemplation of body, anything that brings me in touch with the felt tone, with sensations, with not just object awareness, but also with field awareness of bodily experience, anything that registers as my somatic tone uh, finds its origin in Kayanupassana's first dimension, namely posture, orientation in space, and the introceptive 
awareness of the mind. Huge segment. The body is the container of our experience. And as I have pointed out the other day, um, Kayanupasana's first job, if we look at the, the big scheme of meditation practice, Kayanupasana's first job is cooling down the system. It's settling the mind and settling bodily processes. So quietening down the body. That's why we choose a quiet posture. Obviously the uh, classic for this would be the sitting posture with closed eyes, with very minimal movement, with um, no uh, strain, no exertion. But also other postures, the canonical four postures are familiar, standing, which uh, I hope you're doing uh, because it is a very powerful exercise, walking, as I also would like to encourage you to be doing. And finally, lying down as the fourth of the canonical postures. Now, I hope it is clear that the practice of mindfulness does not uh, stop in those four canonical postures. Some of you may know that the elder Ananda found his awakening experience in one of the non-canonical postures. After a day of strenuous exertion, he um, has basically given up and retired and onto his bed, onto his sleeping place and in a posture where his feet have already left the ground and his head has not yet hit the pillow. He was the crucial moment and he found his awakening. So um, just to be clear, realization can occur in any posture even though it may not be a canonical one so there's no reason for you to relegate your mindfulness practice to those four canonical postures the second segment of kayanupasana is uh, basically anapanasati it's the mindfulness of breathing in and breathing out it is a huge topic in Buddhist meditative teachings. It has been given special uh, texts and uh, a special collection of texts, but outside of these special collections we find scattered in other parts of the text even more little teachings uh, focusing on forms of contemplation of breath. Um, Probably the most powerful and the most universally applicable of meditative practices. The uh, story how the Anapanasati teaching has come about is rather somber. It's uh, a story of one of the Buddha's pedagogical mishaps um, upon having taught loathsomeness of the body or unattractiveness of the body practices and having left the community the monks have been um, finding disgust with their, with their bodies and ended up killing themselves. And um, the Buddha, upon returning, found his community considerably diminished. And when he asked his Ananda, his attendant Ananda, what had happened, Ananda uh, kind of sheepishly told them that a few things had gone wrong here. And he ended his account by saying to the Buddha, it would be good 
if the Tathagata would teach another meditation object. Yeah. Yeah. This is a canonical account. It occurs in the Vinaya and it occurs in the Majjhima Nikaya. So I'm not just making this up. I'm not a detractor of the Buddha, as I trust you will be aware. Um, personally, I find it, you know, it's, it's, un, it's an unhappy incident, but um, I find it in- encouraging to think that even the Buddha could get it wrong, you know, in pedagogical ways that even a completely awakened being with all his gifts and social organizational skills, with all his realization, um, could basically um, pitch his teaching in a way that uh, people can misunderstand and can come to unhappy and uh, consequences or inferences about it. And on that occasion, the Buddha giving uh, in to Ananda's request, uh, he then taught Anapanasati teachings, you know, the teaching on the mindfulness of breathing. If we look at the teachings of mindfulness in the suttas, and if we look at the teachings of the four establishments of mindfulness, there seems to be uh, an amusing little competition going on. If we look at the Anapanasati sutta, references made to Satipatthana, as part of Anapanasati practice. If we look at the Satipatthana Sutta, Anapanasati is made reference to as part of Satipatthana practice. So there seems to be a little sort of tug going on. Um, I think we can smile at that um, little tension there in the texts and just acknowledge the profound connection between those two approaches. In uh, my current scheme of things, the Satipatthana teachings, Anapanasati turns up under Kayanupasana, under uh, practicing body awareness or mindfulness awareness uh, in the domain of somatic experience and breath and breathing uh, comes in there. Um, more about this later. The breath obviously is the, the royal path to the stilling of thoughts, as we are told. And it has... Uh, once the Buddha has given that teaching, has been applied countless times in the sutta, and it occurs many, many times. Uh, as again, not all of these meditative tools are for every temperament under all circumstances. This is maybe necessary to say. Um, but Anapanasati, mindfulness of breathing, is I do not know a condition in which this is not applicable. and. There are countless ways one can uh, apply mindfulness of breathing in one's meditative uh, efforts. The third of the dimension uh, of Kayanupasana is a practice called Sampajanya. And this is an interesting uh, practice here because it is explicitly referring to outside of the formal meditative posture. So it's the uh, mindful use of body function and body movement, in other words, of the input from our motor uh, nerve system, but also of particular functions of body like eating or uh, urinating are mentioned, uh, passing stool is mentioned, um, moving is mentioned, bending is mentioned, stretching is mentioned, turning is mentioned. So a whole name, a number of functions of body, which are clearly not associated with formal meditation practice, are uh, 
considered as the viable uh, places for the cultivation of mindfulness and sustained attention. A powerful teaching. Um, I hope to say more about Sampajanya maybe tomorrow night. And a, a teaching that makes our meditative practice very mobile. It doesn't relegate this practice to uh, sitting on a mat in a meditation room, but we are encouraged to take the exercise of establishing fluidity and continuity and mobility of mindfulness and our capacity to focus what this body is doing outside of uh, meditative, uh, strictly meditative environments. Obviously, there is no reason why this couldn't be applied in strictly meditative environments as this one, uh, but uh, it's important to see that this is not stopping here. Even in the most canonical accounts of meditation practice, this we are encouraged to take outside of the actual formal situation. The three following aspects of body contemplation are somewhat less famous. The uh, next one is Datu Manasikara, the the discerning and dis distinguishing the elements, which is a, a powerful practice when we refer to our bodily felt experience in terms of the primary elements. Now these primary elements are understood to be as sensory qualities and as physical qualities. First one would be earth, the physical quality is extension. <coughs> resistance and solidity. That's referred to as the earth element. So many parts of that body are identified with the earth element, both soft parts but also harder parts. The fire element is the element of caloricity, heat, um, Obviously connected with the warmth of the body, its experience of temperature, with digestion, and, and a few other processes I don't want to go into right now. The element of water is the physical quality of cohesion or cohesiveness. I'm not sure which one is correct. You have to make your own mind up here. Um, and uh, fluidity, obviously anything that is tonal, uh, which is a profound quality of experience um, and the last one is the element of air uh, which is vibration as a physical quality and anything to do with air and space in the body uh, or the body being surrounded or enveloped or being permeated as in the case of breathing with air would be forming part of the element of air. Datu Avatana is tersely treated in the texts uh, in the Satipatthana Sutta itself, but we do find other teachings around it, uh, powerful teachings that encourage us to um, both use these sensory qualities and identify them in our meditative experience. In other words, we're encouraged to think about ourselves in terms of those elements rather than in terms of self. And we're also encouraged to emulate aspects of those elements in our, say, patience. Now, there's a powerful teaching the Buddha gives to his son about elements. 
uh, it's the Manji Manikaya, I believe it's number 65 or 64, I forgot to check it up, but it'd be one of the Rahula Suttas, if you're interested to look it up. So Dhatu Avatana is uh, still taught, there is a famous Burmese teacher who is uh, currently still teaching Dhatu Avatana and a few other teachers, it is a lot less popular in meditation circles here in the West, but a powerful practice, particularly powerful because it uh, helps us refer to bodily processes which have a tendency to bring up strong identification with self, to learn to be real with that experience, and yet to not make a, a lot of self around this. They're also powerful in terms of uh, stillness that are is capable and they're very insightful. It's very insightful because these elements are both internal and external. And they break down some of the barrier between me and other, me and world. The two remaining practices, uh, the second last one is the practice on the organs. It's the, a recollection on the on unattractiveness uh, on the non-beautiful, and there is an enumeration of bodily organs, a very powerful, psychologically challenging exercise which acknowledges the constitute nature of the body. In other words, that this body comes into its functioning and into its uh, performance only through the functioning of distinctly different organs and elements that we generally don't see and that we may not um, identify with so much. We identify with the surface, or as the teachings say, with hair of the head, hair of the body, nail, nails, teeth and skin. This is what we mostly identify with. People seem to be somewhat less identified with their, uh, well, with their renal cortex, for example, or their or, you know, the prettiness of the livers or so, something like that. We, while we all definitely prefer functioning livers, and uh, I hope you have good renal cortices, but uh, generally they are a lot less uh, object of our primary identification with meanness. So the contemplation of body parts is not very popular in Western meditative circles. Um, it, it is challenging because it is a powerful exercise that um, brings up our attachment to body. It brings up our primary identification with the me that is this body. Um, this is psychologically quite taxing and there is a lot of insight to be gained, but it needs a context of much holding. So most of us teachers would not feel confident basically teaching such stuff unless we can provide that degree of holding, which means uh, in a traditional monastic context, it means you live together with somebody who does that practice and you're on a sort of daily base in touch with him and you look what's happening to him because if you do these exercises, uh, powerful things will start to happen. You know, you will come across your degree of identification your degree of holding to the body, and this is usually very um, challenging. It can bring about a deep sense of stillness and even collectedness, but it can also be um, disturbing. So that's probably one of the reasons why it is not very popular. The last one is even less popular. 
it's the channel ground contemplations and it's the contemplation of the composite nature of the body not in terms of its organs but in terms of its decomposition when it dies so it's the nine stages of a body after its death basically decomposing from discoloration to bloating to final bleaching of um, bones and turning into dust a very vivid very illustrative powerful contemplations again uh, dare to drive home the impermanent nature of all bodily experience and again psychologically quite taxing and probably not very popular for that reason in a culture that had a lot more access to dead bodies as ours um, this was regularly done by members of the contemplative tradition by actually associating with charnel grounds where bodies in various stages of decomposition were could be seen we are a bit more squeamish about this in fact uh, many of us might find even the mentioning of this is slightly uh, uh, almost perverse um, it's kind of it makes us uneasy we have awkward feelings there seems to be uh, always the suspicion lingering of um, profound unnaturalness around uh, the experience of decomposition we're not familiar with that our societies and cultures try to um, protect us from this and in, in a strange way feed into the unreality we have around the experience of death and dying and uh, all that goes with it i have found in thailand where this is a lot more up front where the whole village gathers including the kids when somebody gets burnt uh, and people uh, attend to this somber event and in some way there's a collective acknowledgement that this body is not going anywhere it's not going to go and sleep under the earth or it's not going to heaven and rest there you know well, where i come from uh, switzerland or europe and england there's no better they're, they're, they're draping people they're dressing people up they're 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 doing yeah people are have their lips done and are prettified and there's an insinuation that bodies go to sleep under the earth and things like that and i found it a great relief to see that this is not the case in thailand that there's a public and collective acknowledgement that's the powerful thing it's collective um, even for the smallest kid this is clear this body is being burnt and we have cones and tomorrow we go and collect the bones of granddad or so so these practices uh, consider just that they're there it's necessary that awareness of body and mindfulness of body be broadened those six dimensions of it uh, the body breathing the body and its postures the body outside a formal meditation practice being mindful and aware in a clearly comprehending fashion of the use of the body throughout the day in all its functions and processes then we have datavatana uh, the element contemplations we have the contemplation of the body parts and we have the contemplation of the channel grounds all of those are rated to be there to help us practice with the container of our experience with the, 
the most primary of our uh, organs, if you so want. When we experience something, we experience it with the body and via the body. If we speak of an idea buzzing between our ears, then this is a bodily reference to a mental process. The body is really strong. And we're encouraged to make much of the body practices. So let me stop here and sit with you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.